Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Pull out your Crosswalk notes. We're going to dive into Psalm 57. And our title for today is Real Men Cry Out. Now, that might not sound like a very manly title. Really? Real men cry out. But, yeah, we'll see what that means in just a second. Meanwhile, I know that you love them because I love them. And what I'm talking about is dad jokes, right? I mean, all people love great dad jokes. And I'm sure you've heard the one about the man who invented lifesavers, haven't you? They said he made a mint. That's what always happens with dad jokes. Why is it that dad jokes are like that? I don't know, but I appreciate a good dad joke. I might just work in another one or two of those along the way. I'm going to tell you that dad jokes may be important, but what's even more important is that we understand that fatherhood is no joke. Fatherhood is, in reality, a very important and very serious matter. It's a responsibility that, that God has uh, given to us, either on the one hand to be fathers or to have been fathered as a child by someone else. And most of us have lots of stories and things that have happened to us that are a result of how things went in that father-child relationship. And we're going to be talking about that today. And I want to say to the women who are here today, I am going to target today's message at the men. It's not that I don't want you to, to be here. I want you to be here. I want you to listen to this. I think you will find things in this message that you can take home for yourself. But I also believe that the greatest gift that anyone can give uh, the people in their life is for men to stand up and take responsibility for the, for the things that God has given them to be responsible for. And I think that the greatest benefit for women and children is to hear a message like the one that God has, has given us for today that is all about how men stay connected to the Lord. And that's really what that means when it says, real men uh, cry out. Look, let, let's face it. In reality, the bar that God has set for fathers, and and I'm going to add for husbands, is clearly a really, really high bar. And I'm going to mention there's no space on your your notes for this. If you want to jot these down, it wouldn't be a bad thing. I'm going to mention seven things that I uh, found in my study of the Bible that I believe that God calls us as men to, both as husbands, as dads, and just as being a man. And, and so number one, the biggest example that we have is Christ. And when we think about Christ as a man, we see him first and for, foremost as a servant. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve, and a servant who sacrifices. So number one is real men are sacrificing servants. Number two 
And I know that there are men in this room who understand this really well because they are coaches. I see several of them. The second one is this. Real men have to be open to information about how they're doing as dads and as husbands and as men, meaning they have to be teachable and coachable. That's number two. As a man, are you willing to receive new information and to make changes and to be coachable in your life? Number three, do you pursue a relationship with God? Real men are spiritual men meaning they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they love being filled with the Holy Spirit. In this message today, I am going to use the word ambition a lot because I, I believe that as men, God has wired us for ambition. The primary ambition, though, that God wants us to have is an ambition to be connected to him. We'll talk about an important uh, secondary ambition in just a moment. Number four, do you bring enthusiasm to what God has called you to in life? Are you enthusiastic about being a dad? Are you enthusiastic about being a husband? And, and here's where I'm going to bring back that word ambition again. Because I really believe, and, and we often have used this, this, uh, this 5P framework for what men find themselves to be ambitious for at Crosswalk, that, that very often we as men tend to get drawn to outward things. And the five Ps are power, position, possessions, playthings, and prestige. That there's just something about those five things power, position, possessions, playthings, and prestige that draws the heart of a man in. And we get ambitious for those things. We get ambitious to, to climb the ladder and find a higher position. Maybe it comes from our, our boyhood climbing trees. I don't know. We get ambitious to, to pile up possessions. We tend our reputation and our prestige very carefully. What I'm gonna tell you today is that being a great dad being a great husband, is it starts with asking, where is my ambition? Of course, first of all, to be ambitious for the Lord, but second, and here's that secondary ambition I was mentioning, are you more ambitious to be a great dad and a great husband than you are ambitious for power, position, possessions, playthings, and prestige? That's really what it breaks down to. And it's so important that we check our ambitions. I'm going to talk a little bit about the heart. That's number four. Number five, part of being coachable is you have to be humble. In other words, you have to realize, I don't know it all. I don't have all the skills. I don't have all the talents. Are you humble? And are you willing in that humility, even at times, to come to your spouse or your children, and seek their forgiveness. I, I know, in our culture, it doesn't, it doesn't come across always as being real manly to ask for mercy from, and forgiveness from your wife and children. But real men in God's world, in God's economy, seek forgiveness. They're humble. Number six, 
Real men lead lovingly. I'm going to tell you that I think a big thing with dads, uh, I, I know I suffer from this, is it can get so easy for our anger to get out of control. We get frustrated about something, um, and, and, and the anger piles up, the frustration piles up, and pretty soon we're exploding, we're saying things we don't really mean, and we, we don't, we're not in control of those emotions, and so we can't lead lovingly. Here's the final one. Are you ready to admit there are areas in which you need growth? That where you are today is not where you need to be in the future. So let me go through those again. Godly men are sacrificing servants. Godly men are coachable. Godly men are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual men. Godly men are enthusiastic about being a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly dad. They make it their ambition to do that. Number five, they are a model of humility. Number six, they lead lovingly. And number seven, they're ready to admit their failures and ask for forgiveness and understand they, there are areas where they need growth. I started that by saying, men have a high bar. And, and as I listen myself to those seven things, the very first thing that I think to myself is, I never get over that bar. I could, I could try to be a dad and a husband like this for the rest of my life, and I don't know that I would ever, ever get over that bar for one day. And as we read Psalm 57 today, what we're going to see is that even though these are things that we strive for, where it begins is with this idea of humility and coming to the Lord and connecting to him because the first thing that we need to cry out for, to pray for, that's what that means, real men pray, real men are men of prayer, is to cry out for mercy. And as we see David in, in Psalm 57, those are the first words out of his mouth. Let's read them. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I have to run to you. You have to be my hiding place because I need grace, God. I need forgiveness. David, the, the, the king to be, he's not yet, he's been anointed king, but he has not yet been coronated. Saul is still the king when he writes this. And the first thing David says is, I know that you have anointed me to be father of this nation. And, and the, the very first thing, being father of this nation, at this point he's got something like 600 men following him. And he's hiding out in a cave because King Saul is trying to, to kill him and wipe him out and stop, stop David from succeeding him. And the very first thing David does is he humbles himself and cries out for mercy. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Lord, I need you. That's a metaphor we see again and again in the Old Testament. Lord, in the shadow of your wings, I need you to lift me up 
and I need you to hide me underneath your wings the, the way the eagle hides its little eaglets under its wings. I need your shelter. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursues me, who hotly pursue me. God sends forth, underline these words, his love and his faithfulness. Men, I started out by saying real men cry out might not sound really manly. Real men cry out for mercy might possibly sound even less manly to the man of our culture. But I'm telling you that as you look at the godly men of the Bible, that again and again we see examples of men who humbly came to the Lord and said, I've messed up God. And I, I just, I need to be open with this somehow with someone. And I'm coming to you, God, and I'm asking you for mercy. And, and what mercy means is don't give me what I deserve. You see, the Bible uses those terms almost interchangeably, mercy and grace, and, and they mean the same thing, but they come at that same thing from opposite angles. Mercy means don't give me what I do deserve. Grace means give me something I don't deserve. At the end of the day, it means that God is going to faithfully love you, forgive you, and he calls you humbly to come to him and say, wherever you've messed up, don't let that pile up. Let, let, me, let me use this example because I think guilt can be very much like anger in that as men, we don't like guilt. Most of us don't want to feel guilt. We don't, there's no love of that feeling of being ashamed of ourselves. And so what we tend to do is very much like what we sometimes tend to do with anger. We stuff it. We try to ignore it. We put it in a box. We put it in a compartment. When you do that with anger or frustration, you know what happens. You stuff the anger. Oh, I've dealt with that. It's up there in that box. Next thing happens, very similar. Put that up there in the box. Stuff a little more, right? And you keep stuffing all the boxes full of your anger and frustration until what happens one day? All the doors come flying open and boom, there's a tantrum, a dad tantrum. I, could, I, could have, I wish there would have been a camera for some of my infamous dad tantrums because I could show you a dad tantrum like no other. Can I tell you that guilt does a similar thing? When, when you try to ignore your shame and your guilt for the wrong that you do and you stuff it and you compartmentalize it, it's gonna come out. The way guilt comes out is a little bit different though. Whereas, whereas anger tends to burst forth, guilt has an eroding factor. And when you don't take your sins out of those boxes and confess them and, and, and clean and clear your heart of the, of the sin that you've committed, of the hurt that you've caused, of the, of the guilt and the shame that you have, it begins, begins to get at you. And, and, and so uh, one mistake isn't 
just, oh, that's one mistake. It's like, I can never get things right. I'm always, I am a screw up. And it begins to get into your identity. Now the problem it isn't that you, you don't have real guilt or shame, but the problem is you're not processing that guilt. You're not taking it out and passing it on where it needs to go. Just the same as with anger. Anger needs to be dealt with day by day. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Guilt and shame need to be dealt with day by day. If you owe God and I'm sorry for what I did today, tell him. And then hear his forgiveness. If you owe your wife an apology for how you handled something unlovingly today, tell her and hear her forgiveness. And then I'm going to say even this. If you have to sit down with your children and say, Dad messed up. I, I blew it. I'm, I, I made a mistake. I sinned against you guys. Please forgive me. Even with your kids, that is so healthy. So I want you to look at 1 John 1, 8 to 10. This, this is what John meant when he wrote these words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Put our sins in a little box, shut the door and pretend we don't have them. John says that's just self-deception. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You, you can have that sin cleaned up. When the milk gets spilled, don't just let it lie there on the floor, is what John is saying. Let Jesus Christ and his blood and righteousness mop that up for you. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Here's our first point. Real men cry out for mercy. And whether that's with God, whether that's with your, your wife, if that's with your children, if it's with a friend, you're willing to come forth, be transparent, and process those sins through God's grace. David goes on. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. Circle that word. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Let me give you the context or, or the, the environment from which David is writing this psalm. If you, if you uh, have your Bible open, you can find this up in the title. But what it tells us is that uh, David was running from Saul because Saul was out to kill him because he knew that David had been anointed to be his successor. And he didn't like it, not one bit. In fact, he even accused his own son, Jonathan, who had befriended David, of betraying his own father. David is, meanwhile, on the run. He's on the lamb, trying to avoid being killed with his 600 or so men. And on several occasions, they have to hide in a cave. Uh, the, most, uh, the most famous time is when he's hiding in the back of a cave 
And King Saul is so close that actually Saul comes up to the mouth of the cave, goes in to relieve himself, and David is able to sneak up in the darkness, take his knife and cut off a little corner of Saul's robe. His men are irate. David's men are irate. Like, why didn't you kill him? You got that close? He's your mortal enemy? If he had you in that position, he would have killed you. And then David falls into deep remorse because he thinks to himself rightfully, yes, I may be anointed to be the next king, but Saul is anointed to be the current king. And if God is telling me to be patient and wait for his hand to move things, that's what I should be doing. I shouldn't be pulling stunts like this. David, it appears from the title, writes this psalm in that scenario. And it's probable that David wrote these words before Saul came into the cave. In other words, David is being hotly pursued by an enemy that wants to kill him. And so what does he pray for? What most of us would pray for. And that is for courage. Make my heart steadfast. I'm in the midst of lions, forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows. That's all talking about Saul and his men, whose tongues are sharp swords. Lord, let me worship you. You be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And then look at this. David casts a head and he says, they spread a net for me, but that net is going to catch them. Men, I know this. Just as David had a mortal enemy, you have mortal enemies. And I, I'm not now talking about earthly enemies. I'm talking about spiritual enemies. Just as Saul hated David and wanted to take him down, Satan hates you and wants to take you down. He wants to prevent you from being a godly dad. He wants to prevent you from being a man of God who husbands well. And he will do whatever it takes to try to hunt you down and take you out. Furthermore, you have another enemy the Bible tells us about. It's called the world, meaning our culture. And let's face it, all the time our culture is trying to teach us ungodly, false teaching things about what it means to be a man. And finally, you have this enemy within your own heart called the sinful nature that day after day after day tries to erode you as a man, as a man of God, as a husband, and as a dad. This is reality. These enemies are chasing you. They're hunting you. They want you. They have uh, teeth like spears and arrows, tongues that are sharp swords. And when we say real men cry out, we, men, we mean not that we stand up and go, well, I'm not afraid of them. No, what I'm here to tell you is be afraid. Be afraid of Satan. Be afraid of the influence of the world on your definition of what it means to be a man and a man of God. Be afraid of your own sinful flesh. Herman Melville 
when he wrote his famous novel, anybody know what Herman Melville's famous novel was? A little pop quiz, Moby Dick. He has a, a, a character in this novel, uh, and you won't forget his name because we have a, a famous coffee shop named after this guy now. His name was Starbuck, singular, Starbuck. Starbuck was the first mate. When the men come on, on board this ship, the Pequot, he looks at them all in the eye and he says, I will not have a single man on this boat who is not deathly terrified of whales. Now, why does he say that? They're going to be sailing out into this broad ocean and surrounded by whales. Why does he say, I won't have a man on this boat unless he is terrified of whales? Because he knows how important it is to respect forces that can destroy you. See, courage starts with respect. For those who spiritually want to hunt us down. And then courage, secondly, goes to God and says, I am afraid, God, because these enemies are real and they are powerful and they want to take me down. They want to stop me from being a great dad, a great husband, a great man of God. But my ambition, my ambition is to be those things, God, and so I need your help. I'm afraid, but you have the power to give me courage. You see, this is, this is really what it means when in Proverbs 4.23, we're encouraged to take care of our hearts. And the number one way that men of God take care of their hearts is through coming to God and saying, God, you take care of my heart. You give me what I need in your grace. Look at what Proverbs 4.23 says. Above all else, guard your... Can you help me? Above all else, guard your... Guard your hearts, because that's, that's where great fatherhood starts, with a father's heart. That's where great husbanding starts, with a Christ-like heart. Guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Turn the page, because I want to... I want to make this one single point about your heart. The most important thing that your heart have is peace. That in the midst of all the struggles and all the attacks of Satan and the world and the sinful flesh, that even though you may be afraid, even though you may be worried, that your heart can be like David's in that cave. And how was David's heart? Was he afraid? He's very real about these enemies that want to take him down. But notice how that passage ended. Go, go, go back to that. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast, meaning my heart is at peace. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music even though I'm being hunted down. Look at Philippians 4, 7. Paul has a very similar thought. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Men, do you want to be great men? Let the peace of God guard your hearts. The peace that says, I may have real guilt, 
I should be ashamed for some of the things I've said and done. But in Christ's forgiveness, I have peace. I can dispose of that guilt. I may be worried about financial challenges that our family faces. I may be worried about parenting challenges that we face. I may be worried that my relationship with my wife seems to be falling apart. We don't seem to be on the same page very much anymore. I may be worried that the, this massive love I felt for my, for my wife at first is, is slowly evaporating and dissipating. But when I come to you, God, I have peace because I know you will help me the way you helped David. Write this down. Real men cry out for courage. Be respectful of the enemy, but know that God is far more powerful than any enemy that you have. And he demonstrates this again and again in the life of David. Now here's how David ends the psalm. He says, awake my soul. This is worship. This is pure worship. And remember, he's, he's buried in the back of this dark cave and Saul and his men are, are likely right outside. But David is singing, awake my soul, awake harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David is amazing here because under all the very real and deadly pressure that he is facing in this moment, he lifts God up and says, God, I just want you to be glorified in this. I want the outcome to come back to you so that more people will know how loving, how kind, how merciful, how powerful, how amazing you are, God. I worship you and I want others to worship you through the outcome of this. Man, one of the, one of the biggest things that can feed your ambition to be a great man of God, a great dad, and a great husband is something that we, we know works very much in sports, and it's what David does here. A great athlete has to be able to anticipate. He, he has to be like a chess player and see three moves ahead, maybe four or five moves ahead. And, and anti it's all about anticipation on a basketball court or a football field. Quarterbacks don't throw the ball to where the receiver is. They throw the ball to where the receiver's going to be when the ball gets there. Steve Nash does not, it did not, it's been a while. It's the, it's the only glory days we have right now for the Suns. <laughs> he didn't pass the ball to where you know, the other guy is, he had to pass it to where the other guy was going. And that many had to understand where the other guy was going. Anticipation. What is David anticipating here? I'll tell you, he's anticipating that God's going to take care of him. That God loves him. God anointed him. David doesn't think to himself, well, God, did you anoint me? Did you choose me for this job so that you could just smush me? No, that thought doesn't cross his mind. He's like, he anointed me, he chose me, he's gonna see me through. 
Men, it's God who made you a man. It's God, if you are in this position, who made you a husband. It's God who has called you to be a father. You are anointed of him to be in these positions. And you have to anticipate, as David does here, my God, who is my father in heaven, will see me through. He will love me through the challenges. And, and how much today things look like they're going to hell in a handbasket? How much today it looks like I'm done for? God's got me. He has my back. And he will see me through and I will see his victory. And when you get that anticipation, you get something that goes with it. It's joy. Even in the toughest circumstances, you get joy. And I can't tell you how important it is for a dad and a husband, if they are truly ambitious to be great dads and great husbands, to not treat fatherhood with all of its challenges as a burden, but, but to treat it as a joy. If any of you had a dad that projected to you that being your dad was just a huge burden that frustrated him and made him angry and he wished he didn't have to do it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm saying to you men here today, make your wife feel like you love being married to her, that it is your greatest joy being married to her. And I, I wanna challenge you, do the same with your kids. Anticipating that God has got you, find your joy in being a great dad and a great husband. And, and don't only find the joy and like hide it in your heart. Find the joy, put it in your heart, and then project it out to your wife and your kids. Let them know how amazing they are to you. So that they, when they look at their husband and their dad, they go, man, this guy can't be happier than to be married to me, than to be my dad. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, and I want you to underline these words, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's your strength, dad. The joy that the Lord gives you. The joy that you get when you say to yourself, no matter the challenges, the way David did, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song, I praise him. Write this down, real men cry out for joy. Here's my closing point, real quick. If you're gonna be a man of prayer so that you can be a man of God, if you're gonna cry out for mercy, if you're gonna cry out for courage, if you're gonna cry out for joy, this depends on one thing only, and that is your being ambitious, provoked by the Holy Spirit, to have a great relationship with God and lean fully on Him. That means you have to know not only that God wants you to follow Him, but even more importantly, even more importantly, that wherever you go, and this is men, this is women, this is children, this is everyone in this room, wherever you go, God follows you. In the church, we talk all the time about how you need to follow God. We even call you Christ followers. 
But what the Bible also says again and again and again is, because God is a good dad, and I'll bet your dad did this if he loved you, maybe when you were learning to ride a bicycle or when you wanted to do something risky as a, as a child, and he'd be like, Dad, I want to do it by myself. I'll bet your dad kind of just went around the corner and hid and peeked his head out so he could watch you, make sure you were okay. And then if you wandered off, he followed at a distance, but he followed so that he could take care of you. That's your heavenly father. In his love and in his grace, his forgiveness follows you, his love follows you, and he follows you. Write this down. Real men know the God who follows them. Have I not commanded you, he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Men, I want you to know that. As you commit to being men of God, filled with courage, filled with God's mercy, filled with the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. Know that all of those are possible because your loving Father in heaven follows you wherever you go to take care of you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we have you to follow us and protect us and care for us every day. Lord, you made it your ambition to save us and you accomplished that ambition. Now, Lord, fill us as men with good godly ambition to be your men, men of God. Fill us with the ambition to be great husbands to our wives and, and great dads to our kids. And help us to reflect in the midst of the challenges and the, and the hardships that burden our hearts. Help us to look to you and reflect the joy that we have in being your chosen ones to be husbands and dads and men. Lord God, Heavenly Father, forgive us where we have failed through your Son, Jesus Christ. And grant us grace and strength and courage to move forward and grow to the next level as men of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. So, do you know why chicken coops only have two doors? Because if they had four doors, they'd be chicken sedans. Mm. All right, you had to have one more dad joke before you left today. Here's the word I really want you to go home with, ambition. Guys, is it your ambition put there by the Holy Spirit to be close, really close to God? Is it your ambition to, to be a great dad to your kids and a great husband to your wife? Because that's the kind of ambition God wants for us. And frankly, it's the kind of ambition God had for us. Think about your father in heaven. His ambition was to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. 
And he carried that out by sacrificing his one and only son because of his heart's ambition for you. And now what God sends us home with as men, and, and really not all that different for women either, is to be close to him, to be close to our spouses, and to parent our children well. And I want you to leave that. Let that be your ambition as you reflect on God's loving ambition for you. I'll send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. Come up if you want some prayer. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. We'll see you out on the patio.